make sure this is the right problem to solve than jumping to how to solve it. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Aaron Bird, who is the CEO of Visible, which helps marketing teams measure and plan for revenue. I'm going to be really interested in this one. So Aaron, how's it going? Great. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for being here. So why don't you first tell us a little bit about kind of who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I'm the co-founder and CEO of Visible. I started the company in 2011 and uh, we help B2B marketing teams track, optimize, and measure their impact on revenue. So a couple of different ways you can think about that. One is, you know, the saying of 50% of my marketing uh, is working. The problem is I just don't know which 50%. We help them solve that problem. And, and so it's really about marketing teams drive revenue and Visible helps you not only prove that, but then also make better decisions based off the data you have. Got it. Okay. And what, what was the impetus behind the idea for, for this, this company? Yeah, well, so before I started the company, I was at Microsoft and I was working on their ad platform. Uh, so display ads in their owned and operated stuff like MSN, as well as the ads that you see in Bing, right? So paid search. And uh, and when when I looked at the you know all the advertisers that were buying advertising from both Microsoft and as well as like Google and Facebook, there was uh, there was kind of this thin slice of advertisers that were not trying to sell something online, right? They they weren't selling TVs to consumers; they were selling enterprise software to businesses or you know or planes to businesses or things like that. So this this B two B world where they were buying media from companies like Microsoft and Google, but the outcome was very different. They, the call to action online wasn't to buy immediately, but it was to talk to a salesperson or even just engaging marketing content and eventually talk to a salesperson. So in the scheme of things, when you're, look, when you're at Microsoft and you're looking at this, this is a small piece of the pie. You know, It's under 10% of media spend comes from B2B companies. But in reality, it's still a big chunk. And so I knew that that the problems that they had around measuring marketing was very different than the kind of core use case or the core customer for most media companies and being like selling TVs or something like that, like e-commerce. So I knew there was an issue here. I knew that that Microsoft and Google and the like were never going to solve it because it was never going to be a big enough piece of their pie, but it was still a very big problem. So that was kind of the early insight is knowing that that they weren't getting what they needed and they weren't going to, and and somebody needed to go solve that specific problem. Great. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a marketer. I'm interested in measuring and, and planning for revenue. So can you give a case study of, of visible in action and kind of what the results were? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think our marketers, our prospects, when they come to us today, they're measuring, the marketing teams are measuring things like leads or, you know, how much kind of engagement they got, things like this, but they're not able to measure it further down the funnel. So the things that actually matter, like how much pipeline did you generate? Um, How much revenue did you generate? And so pretty much every one of our customers has an aha moment after setting up Visible where for the first time, 
the marketing team is thought of as a revenue driver and not a cost center. When you're when you're a CMO and you're reporting to the board and your metrics are last quarter we generated, you know, 50,000 leads, our cost per lead was $20, right? These aren't things the board cares about. Like you're not in the business to generate leads. You're in the business to generate revenue. So uh, once you can tie marketing to revenue, then and the, the CMO can show up to the board and say, we generated $50 million in revenue last quarter from the marketing that we did that cost us you know, $10 million. And if you give me another $10 million, I can go generate another $50 million in revenue. That's the kind of conversation it enables. And that's the kind of behavior change that we get in organizations. So Pretty much everyone is is measuring something like a lead metric when they come to us, and then they they then get insights into revenue, and that's the the primary kind of aha moment that our customers have. Got it. So how do you how do you guys do that exactly? I kind of get it from a high level what you're saying. You know, you're getting people to focus more on revenue, but instead of getting you're refocusing them, right? So how does it work? Let's let's take a, um, us for example, right? We do a lot of uh, we do a lot of content marketing, right? Podcasts like this, for example, a lot of blogs and things like that. A lot of speaking as well. How do we quantify, you know, how our our marketing is going based on those those activities? Yeah, so we pull data in from lots of different systems. So the first step in this is you've got to get all of the data, and the unit of kind of data for us is what we call a touch point. It's a person, a prospect, interacting with a brand on behalf of a company. So we focus on B two B. So you know, there's there's a, a the notion of a business that's that's the potential buyer as well as a person that's the potential buyer you know on the buying side uh, so a, a touch point is kind of our our unit of data and so we want to be able to get all the touch point data across all of the channels that someone's marketing in into one place and that's step one for visible so we integrate with all the major ad platforms if you scan a badge at a conference that's a touch point that we pull in you know if somebody shows up to a dinner a field marketing dinner and again, this is B2B. So our segment that we sell into, our, our business is selling to businesses. Um, so there's a lot of face-to-face stuff that happens, like field marketing or quote-unquote steak dinners or conferences, things like that. So even phone calls, like you call in, right? I go to your website and I call in. So there's there's all these places where this data lives. In some cases, we have to create the data ourselves because it doesn't exist. In other cases, we pull it in from existing systems. So we have lots of integrations. And so that's the step. That's step one. Get all the data. We need all the touch points, right? Uh, if we don't know when somebody interacted with your brand through marketing, then obviously we can't measure that. So we have to be able to get that, and that's that's really Visible's core competency, and 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 why uh, we're the market leaders because we've done a really good job of getting all of the data in one place. Uh, and then you know, there's kind of if you walk up the stack, then now you have to analyze all that data, right? And, and and draw conclusions about what's working and what's not. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of work that goes into that and some machine learning and stuff like that too. Okay. I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but I'm, I'm just super yeah. curious. Um, so you know, you've connected everything. Uh, what happens afterwards to be able for how do you guys make it where people can quantify? Let's say you you've they've done like a badge scan, for example. How do they quantify the revenue from generated from that? Yeah, so I'll try I'll try to not get too buzzwordy, but the marketing attribution, that attribution itself is the process of what you just asked. So, and there's different models. So, I'll, I'll give a simple example. So, Visible, we sell software to businesses, so we are a customer of Visible as well. We're in our own target audience. And uh, so let's say that you know you were looking at buying Visible, and let's say you ended up purchasing and you spent, you know, $50,000 a year for our software. What we would then do is we would say, "Okay, let's take all the touch points for that account, so 
um, you know, there's Eric, but maybe there's five other people at your company that were involved in buying, right? And, and in a B2B world, there's a buying committee. It's not just one person. So uh, we take all the people that were involved in buying on the buyer side, we line up all of their touch points, so all their in, their interactions with marketing and sales, and then we take that that fifty thousand dollars of purchase and we allocate pieces of it back to those touch points. So if you added up the allocation across all the touch points, you'd get fifty thousand dollars. Let's say for easy math, there were fifty touch points. An easy al- algorithm is even distribution. So in that world, they each would get each of those touch points would get a would get a one thousand dollar credit mm. of revenue adding up to 50,000. So in your case, let's say, you know, Eric came by our booth and I scanned your badge and and that was one of those touch points, then that conference, let's say it was Dreamforce that we were at, Dreamforce would get $1,000 worth of revenue credit from that badge scan because you ended up purchasing for $50,000 and we and we move that across, spread that across those 50 touch points. So that's a very simple example. Obviously, it's much more complicated than that, but like that kind of hopefully draws a paints a picture there to to understand how it works. Yeah, makes total sense. So, how do you guys go about making money? Yeah, so it's a SaaS platform. Uh, we sell the businesses, so they pay a subscription and they access our our data online through either our application or the CRM or data warehouse. There's kind of lots of places, but they're paying a subscription to us. To, for access to the data and the insights and the knowledge that's created from that so they can make better decisions. Got it. I'm assuming you're probably selling mostly mid-market to enterprise or? Yes, yeah, exactly. Our, our sweet spot starts at a, a few hundred employees, which is kind of the low end of mid-market for us on up to the, you know, the Fortune 100. Great, okay. So, I mean, what kind of numbers can you share around the business today? Anything about revenues, numbers, or growth rates, anything like that? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, we're, we're, we're just about doubling year over year. We were in the, the Inc. 500 that just was announced. That's public data. We did three and a half million dollars last year in revenue. And you can find that on the Inc. site. So, you know, and we're, we're just about doubling year over year. So that gives you kind of an idea of where we're at. Yeah. So it's, it's growing nicely, still very early. It's, it's a very big market, but, uh, we're the, we're the leader and, and excited to be where we're at. Awesome. So, I mean, in terms of customer acquisition, I'm assuming there has to be, you know, heavy sales, but I mean, is there anything else that you could talk about that's working for you in terms of customer acquisition? Maybe anything unique? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we, you know, we've got a really unusual insight into that because we have hundreds of customers uh, and we help them measure what's working. Right. So uh, I know not only what works for us, but we, but it's great because we work with some of the best B2B marketers in the world and we get to help them you know, measure what's working and do a better job with it. So I think if you're selling, to, you know, B2C is very different. So if you're selling to businesses, um, which is the world that I know really well, things that work well, LinkedIn ads work really well. On the surface, they can seem expensive because anyone that's ever bought LinkedIn knows that the cost per click or the cost per impression is much higher than like a Facebook or, or Twitter even. But the, the targeting capabilities, if you're selling to a business, I can target CMOs at Fortune 100 companies on LinkedIn. That's the only place in the world I can target like that. So because the targeting's so specific and if you know who your ideal customer is, you can go and get them on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn ads uh, works not only really well for us, but our customers as well. Direct mailers is making a big comeback in B2B. So, you know, sending someone you know, not not like a, a postcard, but even a box, like we'll send box out, boxes out that have you know, Seattle chocolates in them and things like this to um, with an ebook on, on, you know, attribution 101 or things like that. So we'll take one of our ebooks, we'll print it, bound it into a book and then ship that to somebody with some chocolates or things like that. So 
there's pfl.com is a great vendor for that. Nice. It's integrated right into our CRM. My outbound team hits a button in Salesforce and it mails a box and it gives them tracking data. So it, it tells that outbound calling person the day that that shows up on that person's desk. And of course, what do they do? They call them and email them that day. So it's expensive, obviously. I mean, sending boxes isn't, isn't cheap, but if you, if you can, and this is all kind of tied into account-based marketing and, and the ability, if you know what your ideal customer profile is, being able to send them a box, target them on LinkedIn, and, and get after them. It, it may seem expensive on the, the cost for that touch, but if you if you know they're a good candidate, then it, it really pays off. So we've seen a lot of folks doing mailers, um, LinkedIn ads. I think outbound calling still works great. Uh, so does you know sending outbound email. We use Outreach uh, as a, a software platform that that's really critical and great for sending email. So th- those are some of the things that not only we see ourselves, but also through our customers. Love it. And let's talk about your sales team because you talked about outreach for a second. So how is how big is your sales team, A, and then how is it structured, B? Yep. Let's see. We've been doing a lot of hiring lately. We've got about 60 people in sales. The company's 105, so it's we've got a lot in sales as a percentage. I've got 16 account executives, so these are folks closing deals. And then we've got about 43 people doing mostly outbound, but a few of those are qualifying inbound leads. Oh wow! Okay, so most of so you have like uh, forty three ish people focused. Let's call them inbound SDRs. Is that how it works? So we we so of the forty three, we have two inbound SDRs, so they're qualifying inbound leads, uh, and then I have forty one doing outbound. Got it. Okay, so it's it's almost like a three to one ratio from SDR to AE, right? Yeah, yeah. We're the teams are kind of in flux. We target about a two to two and a half, but right now it's a little high. But yes, yeah, it, it's a it's a. If you kind of benchmark it against the industry, it's a it's a pretty uh, high outbound to AE ratio. Great, love it. Well, tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing visible. Wow, I think I mean it really depends on the phase of kind of scaling. I think in the early days we set out to follow kind of the lean startup methodology, and I think even with that goal in mind, we still just didn't do it well enough. Like we didn't, you know, really think about how do we not write code and how do we go out and make sure that we're solving the right problem before we actually solve it? I think I'm, I'm an engineer. Uh, my co-founder is an engineer. And so we really much had, we had a very much a let's go build something mentality like engineers tend to. And I think most founders are that way. They want to get out and build. And um, so anyway, I think we set out with that goal and to be intentional about following uh, the lean startup process, but it still was very hard to actually do it and, and think about, you know, how do we do an MVP without writing a line of code? How do we really validate the market and validate that this is the right problem to solve without shipping any software? It's just so tempting to start solving a problem. And and I think that for me, when I look at and I give advice to entrepreneurs, the only there's only one reason that startups fail, and that's that they run out of money. That's it. You know, if you if you quit, then that's a different story. But I think entrepreneurs that are dedicated, if you eventually run out of money and you can't, you know, pay your bills and stuff, then that forces you out. So, so time is the thing that's against you because of that factor. And I think every entrepreneur jumps out. They're in this business because they want to solve problems. And so, as soon as they think they found the right problem, they jump to solving it. And my my biggest piece of advice. And, and, and a hard, hard learned lesson myself is really make sure it's the right problem. Uh, and, we, and really in hindsight, we spent two years finding the right problem. And we could have done that faster if we would have, if we would have even you know, pushed ourselves more to not write code to, 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 to figure it out. 
So what I'm hearing is hire the right people and get things off your plate faster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that helps. I think just make sure this is the right problem to solve, then jumping to how to solve it. Great. Okay. Well, you know, I always, always like to talk about good habits. So and I guess this probably plays into your day as well. So how do you structure your, your day in general? You know, what happens in the morning? The only structure I have is I block off some time uh, at the end of the day just to make sure I get through kind of email and tasks and stuff like that. So I block an hour and a half off. Doesn't always uh, get to stay there. Sometimes it gets overridden. But I try to be intentional at the end of the day to get through email and stuff like that. Other than that, I don't have kind of a uh, a cadence. Um, you know, it, my my day, my calendar gets full pretty quick. And uh, you know, it, whether it's meeting with customers or prospects or or you know, selling people and recruiting and um, or internal meetings. So I don't think there's kind of a, a fixed schedule. But uh, I, I try to make time at the end of the day to make sure I've I've gotten to all the really important stuff and and responded to emails and things like that. Great. Well, you're an engineer, so I want to ask you, what's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value? So it could be like Headspace or Evernote. Yeah, I think uh, we added Slack at the company, and I think that's been really helpful. That's probably it. It's not a personal thing, but it, it's definitely helped communication and, uh, and and let people you know kind of focus on, on channels and stuff like that. Great. And what's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Yeah, I think, you know, th- there's lots of great books out there for business. And I think what I'll give you one that I think is it's it's in my top three and it's it's lesser known. So, you know, lots of people probably give you good to great and lots of this other stuff. But Fifth Discipline is a it's an organizational behavior book that I read in business school. So it's about culture and how do you build culture huh. and, and what are the what are the some of the pitfalls that as you as you build culture the impacts that have has on the organization as a system itself, um, and the fifth discipline is, is systems thinking is kind of what they're what they're talking about there. And so, I, I think that's shaped me more than any other book, and it's one that I see uh, I see cited really infrequently. Wow. Well, um, I just ordered two two copies. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Okay, and then I mean, kind of building on the le- whole learning aspect as well. I mean, do you listen to any podcasts or any blogs that you tune into on a daily basis or weekly basis? You know, for me, so we're in Seattle. Uh, I read GeekWire uh, or I scan it just to, you know, I do a lot of recruiting. And so I'm, I, I stay tuned into the, the Pacific Northwest kind of tech scene because that's where we're going to get most of our, our people. So I go to GeekWire a lot, tech meme. I go to get kind of the, the headlines. Uh, and then I think New York Times is where I get the uh, kind of the more global stuff and, and culture and stuff like that. Awesome. Well, Aaron, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, uh, go to Bizible.com. It's B-I-Z-I-B-L-E.com. Uh, or you, know, you can email me, Aaron, at Bizible, if you have any questions or anything I can help out with. Sounds good. Aaron, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.